All right, everybody, welcome back to the Millennial Sales Podcast. Your host, Tom Alamo. They call me Tommy Tahoe. Uh, excited to bring you episode 213 here. You might notice uh, maybe I'm a little subdued, uh, a weird outfit choice. Uh, if, you're, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, definitely feeling a little bit under the weather, uh, but wanted to bang this, this thing out for you folks uh, because it's a great episode. Uh, so let's get straight into it. Uh, last few days of the quarter here, wishing everyone luck and uh, hopefully the last few deals work out well for you. Um, for this week's episode or, or today's episode, I've got Luke Ruffing. He's a strategic uh, account executive over at PandaDoc. He's the co-founder of SalesCast, which helps create uh, great sales content for you. Uh, Luke and I get very tactical in this episode. He talks about being homeschooled. He talks about getting a late start into sales, going to PandaDoc, and then absolutely crushing it through his growth mindset. And um, he, he, he has some tips in here, one in particular around how to multi-thread uh, before and after a call. Uh, so if you're looking to build pipeline, accelerate it, close deals, um, this, is, this is a great episode. Luke is super tactical. I think you're going to enjoy it. Um, if you do enjoy it, my one ask is head over to Apple, subscribe and leave a review. It helps us to uh, get better guests, grow our reach, all that good stuff. Uh, you can hit me up on LinkedIn, Tom Malamo other social media at Tommy Tahoe on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, without further ado, let's get straight into my conversation with Luke Ruffin. Let's go. All right, Luke Ruffin coming at us from St. Petersburg, Florida. Good morning, man. How you doing? I'm doing well, Tom. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so you were uh, you were tagged in uh, in my post of you know someone thinking that you were uh, one of the best salespeople they know and you have a really interesting backstory. Before we get into sales stuff, uh, you seem to be like I don't know if this is the right term, but kind of like a late bloomer into sales, like you know working at Barnes and Noble and golf courses and and all that type of stuff. So um, I'm I'm interested to learn a little bit about you know the early the early beginnings of your career before we even get into sales. Oh, absolutely. And uh, late bloomer, maybe an early riser. Um, when I was working at LL Bean a while ago, I had to wake up at like 3.30 every morning for a 5 a.m. shift. So that was a wild time. But um, just some of the background, Tom, is I was actually homeschooled growing up. So yep. that was an experience in and of itself. Graduated high school when I was 18, worked for a couple of years just doing random jobs. And then I was able to land with PandaDoc when I turned 20. So uh, there was no, there's no thought of, of going to college that just wasn't on the table or you were just one, like you just got straight into the workforce, it looks like, right? After homeschool. Yeah. Um, just if you wind things back, I was playing a ton of junior golf when I was growing up, uh, won a couple of state titles, uh, won a bunch of tournaments. And I was like, had no interest in school, none. <laughs> So that's where the homeschooling came from is like, you're probably traveling all the time and just practicing and like, you're trying to make it in, in the golf world. Is that right? That's exactly it. And all credit to my parents for being willing to homeschool me. It's totally shaped who I am. But um, yeah, I, I gave it around when I was like 18, 19. I was like, I don't want to be outside grinding for eight to 10 hours a day trying to figure this thing out. So I was like, all right, what do I do from here? Because I'm definitely not sitting in a classroom for, you know, eight hours a day. 
Yeah. Um, and you know, my, my fiance was, was homeschooled as well. Not, uh, up until I think high school. So she went to, uh, you know, an actual uh, high school, but, uh, you know, now that's like all the rage with COVID is like, you know, everyone's homeschooled. So you guys did it before it was cool. Yeah, actually I made a good transition, um, into doing inside sales cause it was all online and virtual stuff. Yeah. So, um, let's talk about that. So like you were, you know, you're at LLB and you're at some golf courses, you're at Barnes and Noble, like what, what, uh, spurned kind of the, the decision to get that into sales? My mother. What about her? <laughs> <laughs> um, I was working at a golf course and working at all being in the winter. I was like, don't want to keep doing this, waking up at 3 a.m., driving out there. It's negative 10 every morning. It's like, eh, it's no fun. So she was looking around. Um, and my dad also on LinkedIn found this program called Discover Praxis. And so basically it's like a six month boot camp where they teach you business skills. It's like college alternative. Yeah. So I found that. And then I was like, eh, I'm not gonna listen to this because you know, it's coming from your parents. Do you actually yeah. want to act on it? Probably yeah. not. But um, then I looked at their website and I saw like $15 an hour. I was like, oh, okay, that catch my attention. So signed up for that, did the boot camp, and then got an interview with Jared Fuller. Um, at Panadoc, he was the old VP of sales. And now he's over at Drift running their partnerships team. Um, had a 20 minute phone call with him. He told me about the time he played Augusta national. And then he tried to hard close me at the end of the call. And he's like, when do you want to start? And I'm like, what, what's going on here? <laughs> did he close you? I mean, on that call? He did. Yeah. He was like, all right, when do you want to start? I was like, uh, February 1st. And this was four years ago. And so I just hit my four year anniversary about a month ago at Panadoc. Nice, man. Congrats. So um, how was the transition then from, there's obviously some parallels to being a serious athlete uh, with sales, um, but just coming from some of those other jobs that you were working, like how did you adjust early on in, in sales? It's an absolute nightmare at the start. <laughs> it always is. It doesn't matter. It always is. <laughs> because uh, I'll be honest, I was a 20-year-old kid who's homeschooled coming from Maine, where there's a million people in total, yep. to being dropped on my own for the first time in San Francisco, downtown. Three million people, all sorts of crazy cultures, tech capital, world, et cetera. And it was intimidating. I mean, I had some background, like I knew background systems like Salesforce. I had experience in that, but first two weeks I'm like I have no idea what I'm doing here or where to start totally and it looks like you, you've made some shifts since then like I'm looking on your LinkedIn and it's just like pretty much you know rookie of the year president's club you know 100 plus percent you know quarter after quarter year after year so um what's your what what's the story here like what like what what uh is is helping you stand out like what tips do you have where other people can follow this because like in, in panadoc is is legit you know that's a, a that's a well-known SaaS company you folks are on a great run and so you know it's not like you're you're doing this somewhere where i don't know that that is is in a totally different industry or uh you know an irrelevant uh company you know you're, you're doing it in a relevant spot it's a hot market so like tell me about what's making you successful over there yeah it's been interesting just Going at the start, I was taking inbound leads on our live chat tool 
and then I transitioned to an outbound SDR role. And other than maybe asking a question here or there from an AE, they're like, you're on your own, go figure it out. And so I decided to just dig it out of the dirt. Um, I would load up contacts into a sequence and outreach. And I'd try to get like a hundred dials a day. The maximum I got to was like 180. And those dials just kept compounding because you, you know, the pe first pickup, hey, this is Luke, click. Yep. Hey, I'm calling from Panot, click. You just keep, it get better and better. But after three or four months, after about 5,000, 6,000 calls, that's when it started to click and I started to book meetings. And you mentioned the parallels from like golf and sports athlete to being in sales. I hated playing team sports growing up because I'm focused on my own number, what I can control, and I'm super competitive. Yeah. So being an individual contributor and seeing a leaderboard every day, there's nothing better than that. I want to be on top of it. It's not about the money or anything else. It's like, hey, I just want to be the best at what I do, and I'll take the steps to get there. And the first one was digging it out of the dirt. I love it. I love it. Um, so as you've progressed from SDR to AE, it looks like you've continued that same success, right? So like, um, what, are, what are some of the things that have helped shape you as an AE to help you grow uh, and continue to progress in the role? And now it looks like you're a, a, a strat AE, probably working with some really large customers and prospects. So uh, what tips would you have there for the AEs in the world? Yeah, that was actually a fun transition. So I went from being an SDR to an AE after like a year and a half. Um, and first couple of months, I was barely sliding by hitting quota on the 31st every month. It's like, all right, let's get this deal in, just see if we can pull a lever, give a big discount. And then October of 2018, I think it was, uh, Patrick Down showed up. I don't know if you've heard of him at all. I know his name, but I, I haven't met him personally. Okay. He's our sales enablement leader over here, but account executive at Yelp. And he comes in and first month working with him was November of 2018. And my quota was 28K, something like that. He comes in, I spend every day just working with him. He's teaching me all sorts of strategies and techniques that I didn't know. I was like, oh, you just show up for the demo, you qualify him, and then maybe they buy, maybe they don't. He taught me spin. He taught me Sandler selling, pain funnel, um, how to set up an agenda, how to pull in multiple decision makers, multi-thread, and then all sorts of different closing techniques, mirroring. And I went from closing about 28 to 30K a month to shattering what was then the record and closed 67K in November. Did over 200% of my number. Just the only thing that changed was having him in the office helping and teaching me. I love it. I love it. And, you know, I imagine that as someone that was homeschooled, right? Like, I feel like that kind of, and I'm projecting because I was never homeschooled, but I feel like that kind of sets <laughs> you up to learn in a more creative way, right? Because we're kind of taught like in school, you know, do the, you know, read this book, follow it, you know, study for the quiz, you know, do what you're supposed to do. Don't step out of line. Whereas, you know, I feel like there's, there's maybe more leeway. There's more like creative projects that you can do. So I'm curious, like, did you, have you found other creative ways to learn and, and grow as a salesperson over time? Like outside of uh, some of those things that he was teaching you, which are classics around Sandler and, you know, spin selling and things like that, but anything else that, um, 
that you've kind of picked up that maybe other people don't do because of, of that background of yours? I'm just curious. Well, you mentioned school. You study and memorize things so that way you can get the test right. And you get the yeah. test right so that way you can graduate. So you can graduate and go to college. So you can go to college, you can graduate and get a degree. So that way you can get a good job. And then from there, you probably have to unlearn everything that you've <laughs> ever learned to that point. I mean, do you write novels um, in prospecting emails or are we trying to send like text messages or tweets to get somebody's attention at this point? You're asking me? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, in my opinion, the shorter the better on a prospecting email, two to five sentences. Exactly. So that's where I'm a little confused just on the school methodology of this. You're looking at big, long, minimum word counts, minimum page counts for turning in assignments versus how can we condense this message so that it's as relevant as can be and it gets their attention and there's an obvious next step in place. So spinning things around, having a different perspective. And again, all credit to my parents here because they let me learn whatever the heck I wanted. I hated English, hated it. <laughs> Never had to learn how to write or anything like that until I was like, oh, now I have to learn how to write and get people's attention. So being creative and learning, it's learning to the task as opposed to learning to the assignment. Let's say it that way. That's yeah. where I think that different perspective comes in. And it's also learning. Uh, there's two other things I'm picking up here. One is learning based on your curiosity, right? Like I hated reading growing up. I'd never read. I, I would use cliff notes and you know, get enough that I could pass the quiz. And now, you know, I read a book a week because I enjoy it, not because anyone's asking me to or, or forcing me to. It's just one of the things that I truly enjoy doing, but it's because it's on stuff I want to read about. It's not a science textbook or, uh, you know, some random fiction book that my sixth grade English teacher wants me to read, right? It's like following my curiosity. And the other thing I'm hearing is like trying to learn based on what the results will be not based on what someone tells you to do. Like you're learning English, you know, and how to write and how to structure communication because it helps you perform better, not because it's gonna help you on a quiz. And so um, I just think the art of learning is super interesting and something that um, I, I don't think can be underrated with, uh, with how successful you've been of, of just learning in a, in a different way than most people probably do. Yeah, just to kind of spin off that a little bit, most people learn the technique um, and learn the backstory and the reason why it's important. Um, and I, one of my favorite sayings, you can't teach a kid to ride a bike at a seminar. Yeah. You can only really learn by doing. So I'll be honest, I am terrible at coming up with like original ideas or my own content or own thoughts. But where my strength lies is in implementing. I can take something on LinkedIn I learned this from Nick Kleski, I think it is. I probably butchered his name. I apologize, Nick. But rather than like sending a recap email after a group demo with multiple people, I picked this up. He actually calls each person, each mm. stakeholder from top level down after a call and say, hey, appreciate you jumping on. Was there anything we didn't cover today that we missed from your perspective? I've tried that like twice after seeing it and I got one of the decision makers on the call and not only was I able to cover one thing we missed because the call got cut short 
I was able to upsell it to an additional 10 grand and make it a two-year contract on that same phone call mm. based on uncovering something there. Okay, we got something here. We got something here. All right, let's let's go in a little bit deeper here. So we have a demo. There's five people on the call. They all care about different things. You um, naturally will not get everyone's questions probably answered and make it perfect for everyone. So I love that move. What happens if you call and one person answers and the other four don't? What's Do you send the group email? Do you send the one-off email to each? Do you keep trying to call them? What, what's the What's the next step on that? Well, that's actually a good point because going back to the demo, never ever leave a call without a next step on the calendar and accepted. True. So, so being in that demo, I'm going to get a next invite out if they don't sign on that call. But going back, let's say I only one of them picks up. Great. That's one more than I'm expecting. I'm hoping to get somebody and hoping to get some other piece of information I missed. But best case is, hey, you covered everything. We're looking to move forward on Tuesday. But if not, I'll keep calling about twice a day just to make sure that I cover everything they need, but I don't want to blow them up. Yep. Then I'll, if I have some deliverables, like here's the contract, here's our security information, et cetera, I have a templated email. I'll send that out just so they have that those deliverables. But I'm just looking for what's the impact to their business, what happens if they don't do this, and what's the critical event? What happens if you don't do something by X date? What impact does that have on the company? And that's what makes software get bought. And are you doing this exclusively at a demo stage or later? Or is it, or do you ever do it? Let's say, um, you know, you have your first call, it's discovery with someone and they say, hey, you know, I'm going to bring in two other contacts and you, it's more of a, an early stage call and you're not demoing. Is that too early to pull something like, you know, to pull a move like this? That's a good question. Actually, Tom, let me ask you this. How long is your usual sales cycle? Uh, well, I'm in the mid-market, so we're probably in like the two to three month range. Okay. I'm, I'm assuming it's structured. You have, you know, your disco call, then you set up a demo call, then maybe a trial and then a proposal review, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. yep. Okay. Excellent. We used to do things that way over here at Pandoc, or as a team we did. Something that's changed for me personally, um, this was, again, taught me by Patrick, is do your research ahead of the call. And something that I've done is, yeah, I'll look them up on LinkedIn, see their title, what their actual deliverables of their job are, um, but also the company information. And I'll talk to my SDR who books it, uh, Jed Marley. Shout out to Jed. Shout out to Jed. Thanks for filling <laughs> my pipeline for last year. You helped us hit a mill. But... Um, I'll talk to him and like, all right, what keywords did you pick up from them on the call? Not just, hey, we're using, for Pandoc example, they're not just using Word, they're not just using PDF and DocuSign. It's like, what keywords did you pick up on? Is it a struggle? Is this um, cumbersome today? Mm. Something like that, that I can reference in a slide deck. And rather than tell them I did my research, this is the one thing I stole from schools. Show, show, don't tell. Here's my research. Can we actually start digging into pain? Like what happens if you don't do this? Then you can start accelerating the sales cycle. 
Okay, let me ask one follow-up on that. Let's say that we're going to stick mm -hmm. with the word cumbersome. Let's say that, that that's the, the word the prospect used. And you put that on a slide. Are you using that as kind of like subconsciously, you're using their terminology and, um, you know, and using their words and not mentioning that? Or are you saying, hey, you know, I listened to that call or you know, I caught up with, with Jed and he mentioned that you said it was cumbersome. Let's let's dive into that, right? Is it the subconscious or is it a direct call out? Oh, it's a direct call out. Yep, hundred percent. Yep. Uh, you ever read Never Split the Difference? I have. Oh, mirroring is my favorite thing. We have a little game in the office here where <laughs> if uh, or when we were in the office, somebody would say something, then we'd mirror it back to them, and then they would usually elaborate, and then you just kind of give them a little wink or a nod, and they're like, "Damn, you got me again." <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, that's uh, that's classic. You know, something that I've I've had to pick up on personally um, is never split the difference is so hot. It has been for the last few years that when it's done well, it's great. When it's done poorly, it actually <laughs> is a major turnoff. And um, I imagine that you probably sell to sales leaders. I'm, I'm not even really a hundred percent sure, but I do. And so like, they'll pick, they'll be able to sniff that out in a second. And like, I have people that want to come on the podcast or, or connect and be like, they'll just message me on LinkedIn and say, is it a terrible idea for me to come on your podcast? I'm like, that's just the worst. Like you just came at it in such a, a non-finessed way. And so um, that's my one word of advice on never split the difference, just become a, a pain point for me recently. A pain point? <laughs> I'm not falling for that. <laughs> there you go you learn quick but um no you're exactly right it's how it's presented and something that just drives me up a wall tom is when people ask why questions it's the negative connotation why are you doing things this way why are you doing this because it puts them on the defensive literally one thing i did was remove that why and replace every why with how how are you doing this how does that impact your team and something I saw on LinkedIn a couple of days ago, I, I forgot who it was and I apologize. But the question was, how did you discover that this was a problem? And I can't wait to use that on a call mm. because it shows curiosity and a different way to actually understand where the problem arose from. And you're going a few levels deep there as opposed to just asking your regular bank questions. Do you guys have budget? Who's the authority? <laughs> Et cetera. I love it. I love just being able to, to tweak and just find like that extra question to ask that extra thing you can do that, that kind of stacks on it. And um, once you learn the fundamentals of a methodology or something like that, it's just those incremental pieces that you can kind of add to, you know, your toolkit uh, that, that can make you a more effective seller. So I love that. Um, Luke, I know we're getting short on time here. Um, I just wanted to see, this is really tactical. I love the information that we have here. It's great that you know folks can take this for their discovery calls. They can take it for you know some of their demos. I love that move of giving people the call after. I'm literally going to use that today. Uh, I just want to see so good. Uh, one, if you have any last words for uh, the fellow millennial sellers out there, and then um, and then second, you know where folks can reach out if they have questions or want to connect with you or want to learn more about Panadol. No, absolutely. Um, one thing that's been huge, and I was sitting in the office late one night with Patrick um, and Reed Anderson, who's on our team. And we have like sales loft meeting intelligence. So it tracks, you know, 
how much time you spend talking, the transcripts, et cetera. And the thing I see with most sellers is they're talking like 60 or 70% of the call. And pull up any one of my recordings, that was a good meeting. My talk time is 28 to 33%. Why would you work more, try to pitch more to sell less? I'm working less because I know all the tactics and the techniques. I know when to pull them out to get them to expand and just go on. So that way I can sit there and listen. It's so hard to do. But if you can use pauses, you can listen and talk about a third of the time. That's when they get a chance to open up and really expand on what pains they're dealing with and how you can help solve them. But that was probably the last shift that really started pushing me over the top. And I've been in like the 200% club multiple quarters over here. And the only difference is just sit there and listen, just sit in the pain with them. So that's the final tactical piece I'll give you. But uh, if you want to find us, uh, you can go to pandoc.com. Um, definitely look me up on LinkedIn because I've been active there a ton, especially with these guys over at Zoom Info. I, I don't know if you do free ads, but sorry. Um, those guys <laughs> no are No free ads here, but... No well, free ads, I, right? Sorry, yeah. scrub that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I also have my own podcast series um, called SalesCast, working with Max Sakevitz, um and Justin Bajak over here, where we're trying to remove all the fluff and marketing buzzwords and all the lengthy content from sales and just make it short and digestible. So that way prospecting is simple and closing is predictable. So hit us up, salescast.com. Um, and then look us up on LinkedIn, SalesCast. It's the purple and orange background theme that Max created, but that's that's how you can reach us. Awesome, man. Well, Luke, I appreciate you coming on, dropping some knowledge for us this morning. And um, I think a lot of people are going to get value. I know I have a few things to take into the field today. I'm excited to try out. So I appreciate you, man. Absolutely. Hopefully you can take that and run with it because it took me years to figure this stuff out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely, Tom. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody. Happy March. Thank you for listening to that episode while you're walking the dog or doing your laundry or prospecting, whatever you're up to. Uh, please head over to Apple, leave a review, five-star review. Helps me grow the show. Uh, hit me up on LinkedIn, Tom Malamo, uh, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Tom McTahoe. Peace.